Dear friends in Christ, of my friend, Nathan. Finally, after two and a half years, your congregation has a second pastor. And as you're driving to his ordination, your head is swimming with thoughts of the perfect pastor. What is the perfect pastor like? First of all, he's handsome, <laughs> thick, full head of hair, <laughs> lots of white, even teeth, teeth he shows off all the time because he's smiling all the time, and why wouldn't he be? Everybody loves him. The younger members think he's cool. The older members think that he's got passion. Every time he opens his mouth, Words pour out like honey from God's beehive, sweet and powerful. He's relevant. He's edgy. People come from miles around just to hear him talk. Members who haven't come to church in years are returning by the truckload. The church's offerings have increased by 250%. He has single-handedly saved the church, and he's barely gotten started. Oh man, you can't wait for this guy to get going. But then you come to his ordination service and you get a good look at him. <laughs> his teeth are great, but he's got no hair. <laughs> like, no hair. And then you listen as his idiot friend, who's also a pastor, describes him during the sermon and, well, did, did you catch what he said? A serious man expects people to confess their sins, expects people to listen to God's word, not afraid to speak truth to power and call out bigwigs for their transgressions does not hesitate to get political, so much so that he lobbies for who the next national leader should be and spends his time writing about the events that shape the country. He thinks the church is all about the forgiveness of sins. So he preaches the same sermon each week, every week, week after week, about the importance of the promised Savior. Woof. This guy sounds like a buzzkill. Should, should he even be a pastor? I mean, what should we do? Should we, should we go back to the seminary assignment committee? You've got to admit, he sounds like a far cry from the perfect pastor. He certainly won't save the church, and he might even sink it. Now, if you're nervous, if you're thinking about jumping ship and going to a different church during the next hymn, don't worry. Breathe a sigh of relief. I was describing the Old Testament prophet Nathan, not your new pastor, Nathan Klusmeyer. <laughs> Except for the part about the hair. <laughs> but that pastoral panic leads to the question of the day. 
What is the perfect pastor like? How do we determine whether or not a pastor is good? That's the problem the Corinthians had. Their church was divided with groups of members lined up behind certain pastors. One group liked the guy they had before. Another group was a fan of the guy they had now. Still another group wanted a whole other dude altogether. And one final group claimed that they didn't follow men. They followed Christ. Clearly, the Corinthians had judged their pastors and found them lacking. They wanted wisdom and eloquence and power, movers and shakers, men who would get things done. They drew their standard of evaluation straight from the culture around them. Their standard was happiness. After all, if the members are happy, the pastor must be doing something right. Right? And if the members are unhappy, well... Paul, the apostle who wrote 1 Corinthians and who had been their pastor, didn't always make them happy. He was strict. The Corinthians made Jesus fit their sinful lifestyle. And Paul told them to change their sinful lifestyle and make it fit Jesus. But they didn't want to repent. Plus, He was always giving them what they didn't want. What exactly did he give them? He says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Boring! Oh man, they were full of that. They had that gospel stuff figured out. They didn't need to hear it anymore. Does that strike close to home? Have you ever heard a boring pastor? Have you ever had a boring pastor? And maybe you long for the magnetism of new pastors. Maybe you'd rather have no pastors at all. Or maybe... Just maybe, we have unscriptural expectations of our pastors. Which takes us back to the question of the day. How do we determine whether or not a pastor is good? Not the way the Corinthians did. They had a bogus standard of evaluation. And because their standard of evaluation was wrong, Paul says, it is a trivial matter to me if I am evaluated by you. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. If the Lord evaluates pastors, we should use the Lord's standard. Here it is. This is the way a person should think of us as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. In this connection, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The Lord wants pastors 
to be servants who faithfully share the mysteries of God. He doesn't want men who single-handedly save the church. He wants men who proclaim the one who already single-handedly saved the church. Their job is to faithfully, consistently, constantly share God's mysteries. So, what in the world are God's mysteries? They are those things which we would not know unless God told us. The mysteries of God are the gospel in the word and the sacraments. Think about it. The gospel is something to believe, something that you have to be told. It's not something that can be fully comprehended. In point of fact, God's love goes way beyond our comprehension. It is beyond understanding that the Son of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It is even more beyond understanding that the enfleshed Son of God became obedient to death, even death on a cross for your sins. It is a mystery that he rose from the dead, and it is beyond our comprehension how he will raise us from the dead too. But he will. How can baptism give eternal life? It just looks like water and words. How can Holy Communion give you Jesus' body and blood? It just tastes like bread and wine. See, and that's why baptism and communion are called sacraments. Sacrament is the Latin word for mystery. We would not know what baptism and communion do unless God had told us. Here, God tells us that pastors are his servants who use these mysterious tools to prepare us for his coming. Think of the prophet Nathan. He may be the last guy in the world you would want as your pastor, but you have got to admit, he faithfully did his job. He prepared the people of God for their coming judgment. Your new pastor has the same job, to prepare you for the coming judgment, the day of the Lord. Because the Lord is coming. He might not have come yesterday or the day before yesterday or any day for like the last 2,000 years, but he is coming. Therefore, judge nothing ahead of time until the Lord comes. He will bring to light whatever is hidden in darkness and also reveal the intentions of hearts. That is frightening. I mean, you like to keep your sins secret, right? You hope and pray that no one finds out because if they knew, if they really knew what you had done, would they even want to be around you? What if your new pastor knew the secret sins of you? What if you knew the secret sins of your new pastor? Every last one, all of them. But you don't know his secret sins, and he doesn't know yours. 
Pastor Klusmeyer is extremely intelligent, but he cannot read your hearts. However, Christ can. He's already seen it all. Nothing escapes his notice. That's one of the unsettling things about him being God. You can hide things from Christ's servants, but you can't hide anything from Christ. So repent. Turn from your sin. Know that Jesus died for every sin that you're thinking about right now. Every last sin, every evil thought, everything that you did when you thought no one was looking, Jesus died for it all. Your new pastor will tell you so because Christ tells you so. And he is Christ's servant. And today, Nathan Klusmeyer is installed and ordained as your new pastor. So, stop me if you heard this one. A little boy goes to a pastor's ordination service with his father. And when he gets to the part of the service where the other pastors lay their hands on him, he asks his dad, Dad, what are they doing? And his father replies, They're removing his brains. <laughs> really? No! Not really. Ordination does not remove your brain. But it does announce publicly that your brain and your mouth and your heart are here to serve Christ by serving Christ's people at Water of Life. And that's why pastors also wear a stole. The stole is the colored piece of cloth that we wear around our necks, and we wear it as a reminder. A reminder that the pastor who baptizes you, forgives you, preaches to you, communes you, is not about himself. He is Christ's servant. Remember that, Nathan. You have waited a long time for this day. Right? Right. So have I. And you know better than most the trust that's about to be given you. And if you're anything like me, you're terrified by it. Do I have the skills to do this? Can I watch my life and doctrine closely enough to do this? No. Not alone. So don't fall into that trap. Don't make this about you. This is all about Jesus. He strengthens you. He motivates you. He empowers you. He forgives you. He's prepared you for this. It's time to go and prepare others. Amen.